share the Bible. And in case you don't know what that is, we are following along with the one-year Bible. And each week we, we take, uh, like on a Sunday, we look back at the prior week's readings and we'll take out a, a story or some verses or a theme and speak on it on Sundays. And so it's been exciting. Um, I think it's just one of those things, like we could just call it just not just year of the Bible, but like just Bible. I don't know. <laughs> it's Bible talk time, all right? We just methodically move through the Word because uh, one thing about reading the Word, guys, is it's so important to read in context. And that's some of the stuff we're going to talk about today is uh, the, the writings of Paul, some of the letters that he sent to the church in Corinth. But the context surrounding the letters that were written is so important. And sometimes if you just open it up and randomly start on a random verse, you miss out on the what's really going on, the cultural context, and maybe what the writer was really intending to say. And uh, so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians. And, uh, but I got a question for you as we get going. And uh, it's this. How many of you just really love confrontation? I mean, you just, you just love it. I'm glad nobody raised their hand because I was going to eat you alive if you did. I mean, yeah. you know, nobody loves confrontation. It's one of those necessary evils in life, right? It's, it's like you know that there's going to be confrontation, but you're never excited to get into confrontation. And if you are one of those people, one of those closet confrontational people that you just love confrontation, uh, something's wrong with you, okay? <laughs> Something is, is off, you're messed up, you know, you, I don't know what you need, but you need something. Because confrontation is not exciting. It's not fun, it's awkward for everybody involved. If you're the confrontationer, okay, or the confrontation E, either way, it's bad. You know, nobody likes to be confronted, and then overall, most of us don't really like to be the one that has to say it. But you know that it is necessary, right? Like we have to go through, through moments of confrontation, but um, <laughs> I think everybody is, is afraid of this moment, the, the, the I'm fine moment. The moment where, and men, you know this very well, very well, it's this, it's where, it's where there's some confrontation in the house, <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about, and there's a, there's a conversation, maybe raised volume, more of an argument, but it's a, it's a confrontation, and then at some point, there's this, there's this calm in the conversation, and, and the man says, are you okay? <laughs> hey, babe, are you good? You good? Are we good? Is things, are things okay? And then you get the dreaded, I'm fine. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The, I'm fine. And you know something, something's not right because, uh, well, just can we go ahead and play that video? Because this is kind of what happens. Yep, it's not done yet. There it is. I'm fine. I'm fine. Honey, I don't know. You don't seem fine. I'm fine. Then why are you walking around like that, you know? Why? Because she's not fine. She's not fine. It is not okay. They were talking about the hurricane. I was watching this morning. They said, uh, you know, like whenever people are in the eye of the storm, uh, it passes over. And then all of a sudden, like everything's calm. 
right? And, and you could actually walk out and look up in the sky. You could actually see the sky. I mean, and you're standing there, they said, over. And they said, don't go outside because if you go outside, all of a sudden, bam, that, that wind starts in the other direction. And, you know, you're right back in the thick of it. And uh, I, I kind of think of those moments as like, I'm fine. It, it, it's like the eye of the hurricane. <laughs> it's not a good time to put down your defenses. It's not over. You're only halfway there. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the rumbling, you hear something, and it's... <sighs> you all know what I'm talking about, though. Confront the I'm fine, but it's not fine, so then there's more confrontation. But it's awkward. It's awkward. And you know, a lot of us avoid confrontation. We do. And many of us nowadays especially, we see confrontation so much. Just social media is something that every day you get up, you see confrontation. I mean, by the way, can I just help you guys out? When you're watching a video or a live stream video and, and there's people that are uh, like putting, like it's a terrible situation and people are laughing and they're laughing and they're saying little comments, that's called trolling. Um, those people are just trying to stir the pot. So whenever you like get in an argument with them, that's like just pouring gasoline on their fire. Okay, they just, they love that. So, uh, so they're not like, they're like causing you to be confrontational, right? And you read it and you're like, how could anybody ever... Oh, I gotta let them know what I'm thinking. You know, don't do it. Don't do it. You're just, they're just gonna, anyway. That was just a side note. It has nothing to do with the message. I just saw that this morning, so I thought it'd just help some of you out, you know, freaking out about that. Anyway, so, but I wanted to give you some reasons why we avoid confrontation. Some reasons why we avoid. One is that we have painful memories of past confrontations gone wrong. Okay, at some point in your life, you were the guy that's like, oh, I'm gonna confront. I'm not afraid. And then it went really bad. And so then that causes you later in life to avoid confrontation. We don't want to be, be uh, confronted for fear of being found out because of something that maybe we're doing wrong. <laughs> Ever been there? Like, I don't want to say anything because they got dirt on me. And so if I confront them, I know what they're going to do, man. They're going to throw that right back at me. I ain't, I ain't saying nothing. All right. Maybe we find it hard to master our emotions effectively when we're talking about something challenging or fear inducing. Growing up for me, whenever I got in a really confrontational moment uh, and I would get mad, I would just start crying. I mean, I'm talking like really young, not like three years ago or something. <laughs> huh? <laughs> no, I was like really young. I was, you know, 10, 12, 17, but it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. And um, just that moment, you know, you get so worked up, like you can't control your emotions. And some of you, that's what happens. You get in a really thick conversation, and what happens? You lose it. You start crying or you get angry. Something happens to where, so you're like, hey, look, I'm just going to avoid confrontation. We second guess, question, and doubt ourselves regarding our grounds and motives for confrontation. Sometimes that can actually be a good thing, by the way. Because if we have wrong motives and when we go into a confrontational situations, we can really mess some things up. But that could cause us to avoid confrontation. And two more, we don't want to be seen as mean. I think that's a big one. I just don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl that's just always confront. I, don't, I want people to like me. And so if I confront them, they won't like me, right? Or we'd rather it just work out magically. For a lot of us are at. If I just don't say anything, it'll go away. It's never gonna go away, all right? It's just not, uh, infections don't get better by just leaving them alone. Oh, the infection, it'll stop. You know it's going up your foot to your, to your knee now, right? It'll be fine. Your whole leg is literally falling off right now. It's fine, 
things are good. It's not, nope, nope. It's not good. Because sometimes confrontation has to happen. And you know what? If you've been reading the one year Bible, you've been reading the things that Paul, the Apostle Paul, had to say to the church. Very awkward, very confrontational things. But Paul had the same feelings about confrontation that we did. A lot of times we read the Bible and we read what Paul says and we think that he loved it, like almost like he was just, yeah, like confronting sin. But whenever you really read, you see that sometimes they said, well, man, Paul, whenever you, get to, whenever you see him face to face, he's just a quiet, kind of timid person. But in his letters, he's very defiant, right? But then we get a glimpse into how Paul looks at confrontation in 2 Corinthians. And so I want to set up the scripture that we're about to read, because what happened is Paul sent, he sent a series of letters, by the way. And so we have some of them in the first and second Corinthians, but he sends a letter and we talked about it a few weeks ago whenever we talked about sexual immorality. That was one of them. That was, it's a very confrontational letter. He actually said one of the people in the church needed to be removed, one of the guys, because he was in an inappropriate relationship. And he says, man, he's not repenting. He's not changing. He's bringing everything down. You got to get him out of there. And very confrontational. Okay. And he, he does that. But then have you guys ever sent a text message to someone and you sent it at, I don't know, 3.30 and then they do not respond and it's 4.30 and it's 5.30 and then you look and you realize that they read it at 3.31 because <laughs> it had the little read receipt on it. What does that do to you internally? I mean, you want to throw things? You want to go to their house? Or, or what's the deal? What did you think? Why aren't you, why aren't you responding? I mean, that's nowadays, and we're talking about a couple of hours maybe. Paul had the same thing, except he was sending letters with people, and he wouldn't hear for months. So for months, Paul is under stress because he wasn't sure how the church actually received his letter, whether they were going to respond or not. And so there's this guy named Titus that he had sent, and, and, and Titus finally comes back. And Titus had good news. He was like, hey, Paul, they... They're good. Things are good. And Paul is so relieved, okay? He's so relieved that they actually, you know, didn't just start following somebody else, all right? So he's relieved. And this is where we pick up verse 8 of chapter 7. He says, I'm not sorry that I sent that severe letter to you, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while. Paul knew. Paul actually was under stress. He was emotional. He was he felt weight because he knew what he had sent. But here's the deal. Paul knew that it was necessary because there were things taking place that shouldn't have been taking place. And Paul had to confront it. He was the guy. He was the guy. And sometimes we are the people. Like we are, you're the one in your family and you've got to be the one that has the guts to stand up and say something. Like you're the one that has to, to, to be the awkward one. You can do it in love, but you still have to confront. Why? Because growth doesn't take place without it a lot of times. And so, so to kind of veer the conversation that we're having a little bit further, Paul is confronting sin and disorder in the church. 
And that's really what we're going to talk about is confronting sin and disorder in our lives, both how to maybe to do it, the perspective and how to do it, but also how to receive it and how we respond to it. You know, your response to things really determines the outcome of it in everything in life. Like we're all going to have very similar things happen. We're going to have sickness. We're going to have financial issues, relationship issues. We're going to have good days, bad days. Overall, generally speaking, we all have them. But isn't it amazing to see the different responses in those, com- in, in, in those, in those situations? Different responses. You can have one person that has the same exact thing that happens to another, yet one person's response is hopeful, and, and they almost grow from it where another moves backwards in life because our responses are so important. So Paul goes on, and these next two scriptures, this is where we're hanging out. This is it, nine and 10. Paul's confronting sin. He's talking about sin and disorder in the church, and, and, uh, and, and he goes on after verse eight, verse nine. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Results in spiritual death. So we're going to pull out some things out of these scriptures and talk about them. I want to say this, that confrontation has the potential to produce something good in your life. Confrontation, no matter whether it's, it's, it's positive confrontation, you know, the type of confrontation where we are okay receiving it or the type of conversation that maybe comes from someone that we don't like so much. That's whenever it's difficult, by the way. The people that we trust, that we know that are close to us, we give them like the okay card a lot of times. Hey, it's okay, tell me what you think. But people that we don't like, we don't know too well, we don't like to receive that too much. Whenever maybe sometimes we should. We talked about criticism a few months ago on First Wednesday, many of you guys remember that. And in that, talked about good, you know, constructive criticism and destructive criticism. But either way, the same thing happens for us is we gotta look at ourselves and say, hey, what's going on inside of me? So these responses that I'm speaking of, there's two responses that Paul talks about, two responses to confrontation. And the first is worldly sorrow. It's worldly sorrow. And worldly sorrow really is, it's got a few components to it that we're all familiar with. And it's regret, remorse, all right? You guys know that well. Whenever you do something wrong, most times, if you have a functioning conscience, you feel bad about it. Okay, if you don't, something's really wrong, okay? But just, this isn't something that a person that has Jesus in, in their life or does not, a saved or lost person, this, this applies to anybody. Whenever something takes place and you do something wrong, there's this natural regret or remorse. The problem is that a lot of times it's, it's just guilt. And most of the time it's just guilt because you got caught, Come on, those of you that got kids, whenever your kid comes up and they confess something to you and they let you know that they did something wrong versus getting caught, a lot of times the repercussion from that is different. Whenever they admit it, whenever they confess it, whenever they could have gotten away with it for a little bit longer, but they didn't, they came and confessed it. There's a, there's a part of you that, I mean, they're still gonna get punished, don't get me wrong, <laughs> all right? But there's a there's a it's like, hey, that shows, it really reveals a lot about their character, first of all, where they're at. 
But then my response is totally different because I don't want to, I want, I got a five-year-old. I don't want her to, to think that by doing that, that she's going to, you know, just bam, act like it. I mean, she would have been better off just keeping it a secret, right? No, there's something about confessing versus being caught. But a lot of times people that are in this right here, worldly sorrow, most of the time, they just got caught. All right, we see it all the time with politicians. I see it all the time. If, it, if they didn't get caught, they wouldn't have quit it. You know what I'm saying? The corruption. Recently, you know, people say things about the president and they say they're sorry. And then whenever the, the you know, things change, oh, I wasn't sorry. It's like, no, nah, that, that wasn't true repentance, right? That was just guilt. That was just, it's, it's messing with my life. So therefore I've got some remorse about it. I don't want to deal with the outcome, but that's what worldly sorrow looks like. But the other type of, uh, type of sorrow that he talks about is godly sorrow. Now I see worldly sorrow, those components, some of those components obviously still in this, this other response of godly sorrow because there still is something that we feel. The problem with worldly sorrow though is that it lacks the key component of repentance. It lacks repentance because re repentance is what brings change. All right, whenever we repent, Really what that means, I'm just gonna be very, very basic. It's like I'm walking this way and when I repent, I'm now going this way, that's it. Literally turning from what you're doing and starting to do what is proper. That's what repentance looks like. And how many of you, somebody said they're sorry and what did you say? Well, I'll just wait and see if they change. You know what I'm talking about? What you're really wanting to see is repentance. That's what your desire, that's what we all wanna see. Even in our own lives, I know a lot of us, we, we mess up, we feel sorrow, we feel worldly sorrow, and then we say, I'm going to change. This is it. And then what happens? We, we fall. We mess up. You know, we were doing well. And then, and then what can happen in that is where you start getting discouraged because you don't want to keep getting up because I'm just going to fall down again. And now you fall into another category where there's condemnation. Because look, guys, y'all do know that we are going to fall down a lot. Do, we're going to seek God. We're going to be doing well. And then all of a sudden, we're going to go through a time where maybe we make a mistake. We fall down. We go through a dry season. I mean, we go through these different you know, ebbs and flows of life. But the hope that I hold on to is that, God, that I'm, I'm righteous. I'm going to continue to get up. That's what the Bible talks about. Keep moving forward. So that's kind of another message for another day. I just want to throw that in there. But... Repentance is where change is really at. And that's one of the key components of godly sorrows where we repent and we turn from sin. All right, turning from sin is so important. Turning from this way of living to this way of living. See, God lays out for us what that looks like. And when it really comes down to it, we all have a decision to make whether or not we're gonna obey. Sometimes Christianity, I think we overcomplicate it. I think we, we make it so high and lofty that it doesn't actually apply to Monday morning. It doesn't apply to Thursday night. You know what I'm talking about? It, it's a Sunday morning thing and we, yay. But what does godly sorrow look like in our life? Like whenever you do mess up, whenever something does take place in your life, is it just the remorse and the regret for getting caught? Or is there something deep inside of you called conviction, which is a good thing, that just won't let you go? It won't let you go. See, when the Holy Spirit is in your life, 
Godly sorrow doesn't just stop. It doesn't just stop. You have to deny it. You have to fight it. Because the Holy, it's, not, it's not something that's, that's a violent thing in your life. It's not this, this terrible thing. It's actually something subtle. It's something subtle. It's kind of like the I'm fine moment, you know, where it's just a subtle two words, but you know, the, you know what that means. In our life, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, it's subtle, but there's a lot of meaning behind it. But it's godly sorrow. I think in all of our lives, we've got to weigh these two, these two responses out, which is, in my life, do I fall into the category of worldly sorrow, or is it what God wants, which is exactly what Paul said, God wants us to have godly sorrow. He wants to see us change. He wants to see us continue to progress. And it's the kind of sorrow, like I said, that leads you away from sin. Now, sin is one of those words where um, there's two ways that we think about it. Number one is we think of sin as things that we do. Okay, I, I, I sinned. I did this thing. And then there's sin in regards to it being an entire, just a a nature problem, like our sin nature. We're born with this sin nature in our lives. And so whenever we look at it as sins, that's where we can, if we kind of veer too much this way, it becomes about what we do versus the fact that it's a condition that we're born into. And, but God says he wants us to turn away from sin. So let me talk real quick about what it, what it, who we're actually sinning against whenever we do things wrong, okay? Just whenever we're sinning against God. We gotta realize, this is, what, this is what David said in Psalm 51. Against you, talking to God, and you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved in what you say, and your judgment against me is just. We have got to remember, y'all, that whenever we sin, we are sinning against God. That sounds very simple. But I don't think that we really think of it that way. Because whenever we sin against someone, we feel that it's just between us. Like maybe if we gossip or we get angry or we, um, you know, cheat, lie, whatever, we, we keep it on this plane right here versus realizing that it is a sin against God. David, David realizes this. David realized a lot of things, I think, before everybody else around him did. There's a few things that he said in Psalms that you read, and it's really so gospel-based, but it was so far before Jesus was there, and he understood the heart of God. But God wants us to have godly sorrow that causes us to repent and change and turn from sin. And man, I'm just gonna be honest with you guys. I see a lot of people that, that choose Jesus they sit in a room like this and there's worldly sorrow, there's regret, there's remorse. You know that maybe you're, you're, you know, you're living in sexual immorality, all right? Do, doing something that you know is wrong. You know that the Bible's against it. You know that Jesus said, hey, that's not what I have for you. But yet you continue to live in it. And so there's this worldly sorrow that comes into place, especially if you're in a room like this. You feel a lot of guilt and then you raise your hand or you say a prayer and then you walk away feeling, you know, okay, soothed. But then when it comes to the next day, there's no change. And then Tuesday, no change. Wednesday, no change. There's no change, which has to, all of us have got to ask this question. Does that mean that I am not experiencing godly sorrow? Does that mean that I'm not following through in the repentance part where I'm feeling remorse and regret, but no repentance? Very difficult conversation. Because we want to justify things. We, 
man, look, we are good at justifying why we do what we do. But whenever you, whenever you measure it up to what the word of God says, it always falls short. It always lacks something. And that's where we have to take responsibility for it. And in America and in our churches, we don't like these types of messages. Because why? They're confrontational. Because what it is, is basically the word of God through a person is saying, you're doing something wrong. That's confronting. You're doing something wrong. You're thinking wrong. Your life is not right. And so, you know, we'll talk about Jesus. We'll talk about his grace, which is justification. All right. But at the end of the day, we still have responsibility. Do y'all agree with that? Like we have responsibility that we have skin in this game, but here are the responses, but every response has a result. You guys realize that every response has a result. And so there's two responses, one to obviously to the response of worldly sorrow. The results are these judgment, judgment with no reward, judgment with no justification. Okay. There's separation. There's separation from God, separation from his promises, separation from the things that he has, the promises that he has for you. There's separation from that. And then ultimately, this is a word that many people nowadays, for whatever reason, are scared to talk about. It's at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, if we remain in worldly sorrow, the word is hell. That is the destination. That is the place that has been created for people who do not choose to follow Jesus. It's in the Bible. There's a lot of people nowadays that would like to preach otherwise and like to justify everyone out of this place. But Jesus was very straightforward in the fact that it exists and it's still in operation. And that is the result. It's eternal separation. So the separation that we're talking about is not just in this life, some things might not go well for you. You, you might not have some good things take place. The, the real result that we're talking about is hell. And it's a real place. And God's like, that's not my plan for you, okay? That's not what I was intending for everyone to go to at all. But people are choosing to go that direction. So that's, that's one result of worldly sorrow. The other result is from godly sorrow. And the result of godly sorrow looks like this. First of all, it leads to salvation. It leads to salvation, meaning that you are justified. It leads to justification. Now, justification is a word that mean, there's justification and there's sanctification. Justification means that you really didn't deserve what you got. You're guilty as charged. But because of Jesus and because you, you turn over your life to him, because you, you confess your sin and you repent, there's this free gift of salvation. It's free, okay? That's why getting all cleaned up and trying to become good before you come to God does not work. It's not how justification operates because it doesn't matter how good or how cleaned up you get, the amount of justification is the same for everybody. Okay, so that's justification. The thing about whenever you get justified is this, and anybody, any of you in here who have been through this process, you know that there's a peace that comes into your life. There's a peace that comes into your life. When I was young, I, and I first got saved. I gave my heart to God. And uh, I had been in church my whole life. And so honestly, I don't think I was really expecting to feel or to experience anything different. But one day there was conviction in my life and I responded to that. And my thinking and my heart, everything just poof, changed. Now I was very young, 
very young, but I still remember now. I mean, it's talking 20, 20 something years ago. I still remember that moment. It was in building two, actually. I could take it to the spot. God, I was justified, and it was a peace that entered into my life. And the thing about God is he is a God of restoration. He restores things. He restores things. This is what God does. See, this is what godly sorrow leads to. Worldly sorrow leads to death. Godly sorrow leads to life. And do you guys realize what this life is? If hell is a result of worldly sorrow, heaven is a result of godly sorrow. And heaven is where God really planned, and that's his will, that everybody goes there. Everybody goes there. Like, that's God's will. That was why he created us, was to be with him, not to be separated from him. Sin has messed all of that up. But just like hell is a reality, so is heaven. So is heaven. And that's our destination, guys, eternal life. And even though this this may be a very basic message, this is the message. This is the gospel. And I want want to read one last scripture to you. We don't have it on the screens, but it's 2 Peter 3, 9. I think this will apply. This is one of my, honestly, one of my favorite verses. I think it'll apply to the way that we think a lot nowadays. It says this, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise as some people think. Come on, right now, there's a lot of people that, why is God delaying? Why is God delaying? Peter says he's not being slow as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake because he does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. God's hand of grace is outstretched to us, each and every one of us. Doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter rich, poor, doesn't ma- none of that matters. It's one thing I love about the body of Christ. You could make six figures or you can make four figures, right? When you walk into the kingdom of God, it's even. Tenure doesn't matter. Just like justification, the body of Christ, grace is not, you know, God really gives a lot of grace to this person, but not as much over here. You got to get to this level before, no. God's grace is sufficient for you, and he's been waiting for you. He's been patient with you. He's seen you. Many of you, you've been the person that prays every night before you go to bed. Tomorrow's going to be a better day. Tomorrow, I'm going to be good. But you realize you've never had this moment, this moment in your life where you truly repent, where godly sorrow interjects the scene and remorse and regret is secondary to repentance and change because you realize God's promise is there for you, has been there for you, and his grace is sufficient for you. And right now, there's some of you that need to make a decision. You need to make a decision today. Am I going to follow Jesus? To begin to enter into this process of repentance and not have that moment of decision in your life is going to lead to a lot of frustration. Maybe many of you today, you've been there. You, you tried to do the whole church thing. You tried to do the Jesus thing without actually bowing your knee, bowing your heart, submitting your life to him and really having that moment. And it just never works out. Why? You got the cart before the horse. So before we get into, you know, some other things in our lives right now, I want for all of us to have a moment where we can truly, without a shadow of a doubt, know that we're saved, we're called out of darkness into Jesus, into his light, into his life. 
And I would love that we all walk out of this place today knowing hell is not my destination, but heaven is. So right now, would you bow your heads and close your eyes? It's just so nobody's looking around and you can really just think about your heart, think about your life. There's a lot of you in this place today, you've been caught up in worldly sorrow, but it's never, it's never really crossed over into godly sorrow. It's, it's never gone into repentance and change because it's staying on this human plane. It's staying, it's just staying in the, the way that you just always have done things. And today God wants to interject your life and do something fresh and do something new. And it starts with you surrendering your heart to him. It starts with you believing in Jesus. The message is this, is that Jesus was sent to this earth by his father to live a a blameless life, to die a terrible death on the cross so that in his death, he would shed his blood to pay the price for the sin that we are born into. There's nothing you can do. There's, There's nothing you can do or say that would improve your chances of receiving this free gift of salvation. God did it all. And now here you are at a moment of decision. And you know what the right decision is. You know that the right decision is to to choose Jesus, to choose to follow him. But there may be some hesitation because you know in any decision you make, there's 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 a result of that. And some of you maybe are hesitating because you know some of the things that might cost you. I wanna encourage you, don't let the temporary things of this world distract you from your eternal reward. You don't want to look back in five and 10 years from now and, and really actually regret not making this decision. If you're in this place and you don't know Jesus, but you want to today, you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. I'm not going to invite you up to the front of the room or, or do anything like that, but I, I'm, I'm going to ask you to do one thing here in a moment is to raise your hand just to say that's me. Come on. I just want to pray for you. If you're in this place right now and you need Jesus, would you raise your hand? Come on, all over the room. I see you. Yes, yes, yeah. Come on. It's awesome. Who else? You need Jesus. Today is the day. Some of you, you tried this before. Maybe you grew up in church like I did and it's just become routine. And you feel like maybe you prayed the prayer too many times. You know what I'm talking about? You, you pray too many times and now there's this gap and, and God's just not there for you anymore. I wanna encourage you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. His love is there. Anybody else, just wanna pray with you. Yeah, come on. We're gonna pray. And as I pray, you don't have to repeat after me. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, but I want you to pray to your God. Let's pray together. Father, I come before you humbly. God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender all that I am, the good, the bad, the the successes and the failures, all of it I laid at your feet. And God, I give you my heart. I pray that you take the things, the, the mistakes that I've made. I pray that you restore my life. God, and that you would start with my heart that you would start with my heart. God, like your, like your word says, that you would replace the stony heart that doesn't hear you or respond to you, and you'd replace it with a heart of flesh that hears your voice. God, help me to live that life. God, I receive your gift of salvation. I repent of my sin. I turn from my ungodly living, 
and I turn and I face a life that you have given me, a life that has eternity in mind, a life of compassion. I embrace it today and I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, let's just keep our heads bowed because I want to pray for each and every single one of you that maybe you've known God for a long time, but in this moment you realize that you've You've grown into a lifestyle of worldly sorrow, but not godly sorrow. And really what it is, it's a, it's a place of deception because you begin to feel that you're okay when maybe you are not okay. Maybe it's not okay what you're doing. Maybe God's voice has gotten quieter in your heart. And it's time for that voice to be a little bit louder, but it's gonna start with you breaking. So right now I wanna lead a prayer of repentance for anyone who you just know. You know, maybe, maybe you're justified. Maybe you've had that moment, but maybe you've fallen into a lifestyle that you know isn't pleasing to God. Come on, let's pray together. God, I, I come before you and Lord, I repent. God, of those moments where I've just felt remorse and regret and some guilt, but God, it has not led to change. It has not led to repentance. God, I pray, just like you said, you want me to have godly, godly sorrow. That's what you want for me. God, I pray that it would be active in my life. Lord, if there's areas in, in our hearts that we have grown cold, areas in our hearts that we've just gotten used to it, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to not be used to it anymore, to not just accept carnality in our life, to not just accept worldly things in our life. God, let us be defensive to those things. God, in our, all of our lives, all of our families, I pray that you help us to be confrontational when it needs to be confrontational. God, maybe for us, there's some things in our life, God, that you've confronted today. Would you help us to respond properly? Lord, in our families, God, would you help us to confront things that are not right? Confront the worldly thinking, confront things that lead to death, God, so that we can experience your life. We accept it right now in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God, and we'd love to help you with your next few steps. If you'll text the word SAVED to 51660, we want to send you a link to our website that'll explain a little more about the decision you just made and give you some steps to take so that you can grow in your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you're in one of those areas, we'd love to see you at one of our live services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and directions. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give, or you can text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next time.